from the Hatterberg Catechism. We read together Lord's Day 16. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's nature, our through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Wiser added, he descended into hell. In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his suffering, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and the torment of hell. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, someday each one of us will have to die. If the Lord Jesus does not return before then, we will face the end common to all. It is, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Psalm 90 tells us that our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Some live even a little longer than that. But death is a reality in the sinful world in which we live. It is one of the ultimate consequences of our fall into sin. Death is something that makes many people really uncomfortable. There's a real avoidance of death in our society. It's something that doesn't get openly spoken about. It's something that many try to stay as far away from as possible. We talk about how people have passed away. Insurance companies sell life insurance rather than death insurance, though that's really what it is. Doctors will often try to shield their patients from the news that they are terminally ill. Funeral directors embalm and dress up the dead so that they look like they're taking a nap. We're a society that fears death and avoids it as much as possible. And death is inevitable for each one of us. When we're young, we may be shielded from that reality. Many young people think that they're invincible, that nothing bad could ever happen to them. But as we go through life, we're confronted by the deaths of friends and loved ones. We begin to realize that one day we too will be faced with death. That message is brought home when we see others around us die in car accidents or being di diagnosed with a terminal illness or 
when they experience the effects of old age. Eventually, we'll all die. Does that depress you? It does, most people. Death dashes our dreams. It crushes our hopes. It ends a love relationship with a spouse or family member or a friendship with someone we may have known for many years. Death is an enemy. It causes deep grief and sorrow. Death leaves behind an empty place, a vacant chair or bed in our homes, a hole in our hearts. Although death truly is the last enemy and causes us much sorrow and grief, it does not need to leave us hopeless or in despair. There is a reason why we as Christians can find comfort and hold fast hope, even when confronted by death. It is because of Jesus Christ and what he came to do in this world. Christ came to suffer and die for our sins. He was willing to give up his life to redeem our lives. Christ died to give us new life in him. It's the good news that I may proclaim to you this afternoon. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. Christ died in order to give us life. We'll consider the reason for Christ's death, the benefits of Christ's death, and our comfort from Christ's death. We read together this afternoon from Psalm 116. It's a well-known song. Our children often learn it at a young age. It's a song that expresses strong emotions of the heart. The psalmist begins with a confession of love. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. What's often overlooked in this psalm is the reason why the psalmist's heart overflows with love and thanksgiving to God. It's because of the Lord's wondrous works of deliverance. You see, beloved, the psalmist was in real trouble. We see him express the sorrows of his heart in verse 3. He says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Something happened in his life that brought him close to the point of death. We don't know precisely what this was. It may have been illness or some nearly fatal accident. Perhaps he was wounded in battle. It could be that his foes plotted against him, that he narrowly escaped death at their hands. What is clear is that death was knocking at his door. It surrounded him on every side. He thought he was a goner. The result is, is that he suffered much distress and anguish. Consider that, beloved. Being in a situation where you think you're going to die. Trying to come to terms with the fact that you're leaving behind your life's partner, children, parents, or other loved ones. Wondering how they will fare in life when you're no longer there. Worrying about the fact you'll not be there to care for them. Seeing all the hopes and dreams you had for your life coming to an end. 
recognizing that you won't be able to do some of the things that you had planned. Death is a cruel enemy. It brings much distress and anguish into the hearts of those touched by it. When we're confronted with death, we often begin to ask some of the bigger questions of life. Where did I come from? What is life really all about? Why am I here on this earth? What's the purpose of my existence? And if I die, where am I going? Is death just the end of life? Or will we experience life after death? Besides these obvious questions, we also struggle with why death is necessary. We were created for life, not death. So why are we confronted with this mortal enemy? Death is a consequence of sin. In paradise, God warned Adam, God warned Adam not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord said, For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Man's rebellion against the Lord's command was sin. And sin brought death into the world. God's curse on man was that he would return to the ground, for out of it we were taken. The Lord said, You are dust, and to dust you will return. In Romans 5, verse 12, Paul explains the connection between sin and death. He says that sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 6.23 confirms this by stating that the wages of sin is death. What the Bible makes clear is that death is our own fault. It is a consequence of our sins, of our rebellion against God. So what do we do when we are confronted with death? When death has come near and threatens to take our life or the life of a loved one? Is there anyone who can save us from death and from all its effects? Yes, there is. The Lord can. And so, like the psalmist in Psalm 116, we cry out to God for deliverance. When the snares of death encompassed him and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of him, the psalmist called on the name of the Lord. He said, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Deliverance can take different forms. At times, God can and does spare our lives when death threatened to take us. The psalmist experienced this. He says, The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. He speaks about how the Lord has dealt bountifully with him. He confesses, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. There are also times in our lives when the Lord spares us serious harm, when we were sure we'd be badly hurt in an accident. There are times when the Lord miraculously blesses medical treatment and graciously provides restoration of health and strength to those we thought would die. Yet that's not the only way in which God delivers us from the curse of sin and death. It's not even the main way in which the Lord provides deliverance for his people. 
For although there are times when the Lord intervenes and grants an extension of our time on this earth, the day will still come when each of us will have to face death. We know that death is a result of God's curse on our sin. And so the bigger question is, can God save us from death and all its effects? In answering this question, it's important to know that Psalm 116 is one of the halal, the praise songs. Psalms 113 to 118 were recited with God's people on joyous occasions, including the three pilgrim feasts. Psalm 113 and 114 were read before the celebration of the Passover meal. And Psalms 115 to 118 after the meal. And so the Lord Jesus would have sung this psalm together with his disciples before his passion and death. Consider this psalm as sung by the Lord Jesus. If anyone truly loved the Lord, he did. If anyone trusted in the Lord to hear our prayers, it was our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just consider the earnestness and persistence of his prayers to his heavenly Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus truly experienced the snares of death encompassing him, the pangs of Sheol laying hold of him. He just suffered distress and anguish that went far beyond what any other human being has ever undergone. Jesus came into this world with the express purpose of offering up his life for ours. He told his disciples, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. When celebrating the Passover with his disciples, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after supper, after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus came to offer his body and blood as a sacrifice to God to make payment for our sins. So we see that Jesus Christ has come into this world with the express purpose of dealing with our sins and with all their effects. He came to take the curse that lay on us so that God might fill us with his blessings. Our catechism makes a point that Christ's death was absolutely necessary. There's a reason why Jesus had to humble himself even unto death. Because of the justice and truth of God. Satisfaction, that means payment for our sins, could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Christ's death is the turning point of all of human history. He died. He gave up his life so that we would not have to experience eternal condemnation. 1 John 2 verse 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Peter writes, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, 
that he might bring us to God. Note those last words. Christ suffered and died once for sins to bring us to God. To get rid of that chasm between God and us resulting from our sins. It is through Jesus Christ and only through him that our sins are forgiven that we are restored to righteousness and life. Well, if that is the case, why do we still have to die? Why do we still have to suffer the distress and the anguish that comes with death? Why are we left with an empty place in our homes and holes in our hearts? Christ has suffered and died for us. That is the good news of the gospel. To save us from our sins and deliver us from the power of the devil. So why do we still have to die? Our catechism makes it clear that our death is not a payment for sins. As sinful people, we could never atone for our own sins or for the sins of anyone else. There are other reasons why we still need to undergo death. The first is that our death finally puts an end to our sins. Even if we love the Lord and we're committed to his service, we still sin so much. Our thoughts and our attitudes are often self-focused. In our words and deeds, so often we don't glorify God or show forth love to our neighbor. We have sinful hearts. We do sinful things. Our hearts are factories that just keep producing more and more sin. It goes on our whole life. But beloved, at death, we stop sinning. Think about that. Finally, after doing so many things that grieve the Lord, that hurt him deeply, our sinful life comes to an end. And that's not all. Our death not only puts an end to our sin, it's also an entrance into eternal life. Death brings our life on this earth to an end. But it's not the end of our being. While our body is laid to rest in the grave, our soul goes up to be with Jesus Christ in heaven. Before Jesus left his disciples on earth, he told them that he was going to his father's house to prepare a place for them and that he would take them to himself. When Paul writes to the Philippians about how the end of his life was approaching, he was not sure if the Lord would still allow him fruitful service among them or if the time had come for him to go home. Yet Paul confessed, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So we see, beloved, that Jesus Christ came into this world to conquer sin and death. Death remains the last enemy. God created us for life, not for death. Death stings, it hurts us deeply. It brings much anguish and distress. But by his resurrection, Jesus grants us a living hope. As Christians, we know that death is not the end of life, but that it is an entrance into eternal life. Those who die in the Lord are allowed to go home to be with him. 
to share in the joy of our Lord, to be in his presence forevermore. That's what provides us with so much comfort when faced with death. We know that Jesus suffered and died to give us life. It brings us to our second point, and it will consider the benefits of Christ's death. We've already spoken about some of the benefits of Christ's death, that Jesus paid the price for our sins and thereby restored us in our relationship with God. That in Christ, death is not the end of our existence, but that we have the promise of living with him eternally. Yet our catechism asks, what further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? It says, through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. What our catechism teaches us is that Christ's death has an impact on us already here and now. Paul writes about this in Romans 6. He uses the image of baptism to explain how we are washed in Christ. Paul writes, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Being baptized in Christ is pictured in Romans 6 as a complete identification with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When people are baptized by immersion, they go under the water, and then they come back out of the water. The going down is compared to dying with Christ, the coming up to rising with Christ. This is not meant physically, but spiritually. Paul speaks of how our old self was crucified with Christ, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Paul speaks about how we've been granted a new life in Christ. Lest we should count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul draws consequences from this for our daily lives. He says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its evil desires, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. You see, beloved, Christ has brought about a wonderful redemption for us. It involves not just our justification, receiving the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ, It also involves our sanctification, being renewed by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in newness of life. In our fallen condition, we were slaves to sin and Satan. But Christ has delivered us from that. He has set us free from all the power of the devil. In our redeemed state, we will still face many temptations. But Jesus Christ 
is our Lord and our Master. He lives in us by His Holy Spirit. By His power and might, we are enabled to say no to the sinful desires of the flesh, to the temptations of the evil one. Because in Christ, we are a new creation. And so we see how Christ's death enables us to live holy lives in God's service. Not perfect lives, yet we're able by Christ's power to show forth our love for God and our neighbor. God helps us to live in accordance with his commandments. We're enabled to live our lives in the joy of our faith. Through the struggles and temptations we face, God helps us to look to Christ in times of need. He enables us to live our lives to his glory. Brings us to our final point, and that we'll see our comfort from Christ's death. Our catechism has worked its way through the stages of Christ's suffering. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Our Lord's Day lists a final aspect of Christ's suffering to show how brutal that all was. It says that he descended into hell. Some people think that these items in the Apostles' Creed are listed in chronological order. And as a result, they think that Christ's descent into hell happened after his death and burial. That is a wrong understanding of our creed. We know from Scripture that after his death, Jesus' soul went up into heaven to be with his Father. It's clear from some of the words that Jesus spoke while hanging on the cross. To the criminal hanging beside him, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus had suffered on the cross and his life was coming to an end, he said, It is finished. Jesus would not have said that if he still had to go and suffer for our sins in hell after his death. And as he was dying, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so we see that our creed statement that Christ descended into hell is meant as a summary of the terrible suffering that he underwent on our behalf. You see, beloved, on account of our sins, we deserve to suffer under God's eternal condemnation. We deserve to be utterly forsaken by God. We deserve to suffer the everlasting punishment of body and soul. Yet Christ has redeemed us from this. He bore this curse of God for us. Especially during the three hours of darkness on the cross, Christ was forsaken by God. He was handed over to Satan and his evil spirits to suffer the torments of hell. The Father in heaven left him completely alone. Beloved, we cannot imagine what that would have been like. People can end up in pretty miserable circumstances on this earth. People can suffer horrible deaths. Yet our lives are lived and we die under the providential care of God. 
God has not yet completely withdrawn his favor from mankind. But this is what happened with Christ on the cross. God completely withdrew himself from his son. He abandoned him. He left him all alone. God poured out on him his wrath against the sins of the whole world. Our Lord suffered the anguish and torment of hell. Christ has taken our curse upon himself so that he might fill us with his blessing. In the midst of our greatest sorrows and temptations, we may be assured of the fact that God will never leave us or forsake us. God has promised he will never do that. When God's people were about to enter the promised land, Moses gave them this promise. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In the same way, we do not need to live in fear or dread of any of our mortal enemies. For God has promised to walk with us through this life. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus told his disciples, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus made it clear to them that although physically he was departing from them, spiritually he would always be with them. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Christ fulfilled his promise when he poured out his spirit on his church. And so we may know that God won't leave us or forsake us. He truly is always with us. Also through the troubles and the sorrows we face in this life. We began this sermon by speaking about death. About how we will all be faced with death. And about the sorrow and the anguish that it brings. Yet Psalm 116 tells us, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God knows that death is the final enemy. He is sensitive to the anguish and sorrow that death causes. That's why he sent his son into this world to redeem us from death and from all its effects, to grant us comfort and strength in Jesus Christ. Beloved, despite the pain and sorrow that death brings, we do not need to grieve as those who have no hope. For we have a living hope in Jesus Christ, our living Redeemer. When faced with the death of his dear friend Lazarus, Jesus comforted his sister with these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. We have a Savior who suffered and died to give us life now and eternally. May we put our hope in him and praise him for all his wondrous works. Amen.
Let's respond to the gospel by rising and singing hymn 30, stanzas 1, 2, and 3.